Everything here at Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneBone, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I've been rocking with OneBone for a little bit now, and there are a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different styles of pants and shorts, to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, the whole collection, I'm in. But it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but One Bone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants and everything is made from premium fabrics with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. There is a sizing guide on the website that makes it easy to find the absolute right fit. And from flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, One Bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian. And for me, that's important. As a One Bone ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, Spencer Kite, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you get 15% off your entire order. It is, as I said, a one-time use code. But I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone gear and become part of the One Bone family yourself, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. Go check out Drop 17, which hit the site a couple of days ago, featuring four new colors in the scoop and the V-neck t-shirts, plus the new Outwork pants in military green and black. I've got an order going in this week. You should too. One Bone. For big and all. What is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 37 of the Keyboard Kimura podcast. I am E. Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man, sitting down as promised to break down the UFC women's flyweight division in the wake of Noche UFC, in the wake of Alexa Grasso retaining the flyweight title after a split draw with Valentina Shevchenko on Saturday. I talked about it in the week leading up to, or the couple of weeks leading up to this event. I talked about it yesterday on the takeaways, and now I am here, as promised, to sort out, to provide my ideas on how to book this division going forward. We are not going to waste any time. We're going to dive right in. And I want to start with what feels like the obvious idea. And we saw this Saturday from a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of people in the media right away talking about it after the fact, is doing an immediate rematch between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. Obviously, in a situation where a fight results in a draw, that is quite frequently 
what we end up doing, what we end up getting is those two competitors right back in there, do it again, settle things once and for all. And I fully understand that logic. I fully understand that idea. It was a instant classic in my books. I think over time we will come to appreciate how great that fight was more and more as we are able to divorce ourselves and distance ourselves from the scoring, from the controversy of Mike Bell's 10-8 round in the fifth round that created the draw situation and put us in this spot where we have sort of an unsettled feeling about things at the top of the division. It completely makes sense to me. I understand the logic, the approach, the idea behind it. But I'm someone that isn't a big fan of immediate rematches. For the most part, like almost universally, I don't want to see immediate rematches. And the exception I will always offer and the exception I will always make is essentially what got us to Noche UFC, which is a long reigning champion finally being dethroned. Someone getting five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever it is, title defenses into their reign, finally being knocked off, finally being dethroned from the top of their division. That individual deserves an immediate rematch. They've put in multiple years at the top of a weight class beating the best of the best, beating whoever is available, whoever comes up to challenge them, constantly turning that them back aside. Whether close fights or not, that individual, to me, merits an immediate rematch. And so we saw that with Valentina Shevchenko. Alexa Grasso defeats her in March at UFC 285. We do the immediate rematch at Noche UFC on Saturday. And that makes sense. I'm, I'm with that one. It's why... Israel Adesanya potentially getting an immediate rematch here against Sean Strickland doesn't sit well with me. Is he won the belt back earlier this year? He already got his immediate rematch from being dethroned. We don't need to do it again. And similarly, and I say this with all due love and respect to Aljamain Sterling, who I think is a tremendous champion and did a lot at the top of the bantamweight division, but he only got through three title defenses. He only got through three. And for me, that bar is more set at five. You get to five, that feels like the crossing a certain threshold. Also in there, the way that fight ended, you have to factor in certain things like that as well, right? Adesonia and Strickland, Strickland won that fight handily. There's nothing that was left undetermined to me in that fight. And so we do something else. And with Aljo and Sean O'Malley, unfortunately for Aljo, he got cracked. And I don't right now need to see it, especially because there's other people at the ready. Which brings me around to here and the flyweight division. Noche UFC was Valentina Shevchenko's merited, earned, tenured get-back fight. This was her immediate rematch. Absolutely merited, absolutely warranted. And the fact that it ends in a draw, for me doesn't mean we absolutely have to do it again. I fully understand Alexa Grasso's hesitation. It's something I've talked with several champions about over the years, most prominently of late, Alexander Volkanovsky, right? Going through three fights with Max over the course of a couple years was sort of one of those things that was trying on him, that was weighing for him of like, why do I have to keep fighting the same guy when I keep beating them? 
And now I know that the argument would be that Alexa Grasso didn't officially beat Valentina Shevchenko on Saturday. And if not for the 10-8, would have lost to Valentina Shevchenko on Saturday. But as it stands right now, Alexa Grasso is still the flyweight champion. She is 1-0-1 against Valentina Shevchenko. And for me, looking at the division, looking at how we got to this point, I don't need to see that immediate rematch again. I don't need to see a third straight fight between those women. I will happily watch it. I think it will be an entertaining fight just like the previous two have been. But if we're sitting down and I'm in charge of the matchmaking and I've got the whole division at my disposal, that's not the direction I'm going. I'm not doing Grasso Shevchenko 3. At least not next. I've got some other ideas. And so let's get into those. For me, the next fight to make for Alexa Grasso as flyweight champion is about with Aaron Blanchfield. I just think, given both the fact that Grasso is 1-0-1 against Val, right? Unbeaten in a pair of fights this year against Valentina Shevchenko. And this is now three consecutive fights where we've seen Valentina Shevchenko not be her infallible, mistake-free, dominant, invincible self. I want to move forward with somebody in Blanchfield that has been absolutely lights out since touching down in the UFC. 24 years old, American on a six-fight winning streak in the UFC, on a nine-fight winning streak overall, absolutely showing all the things that you want to see from an ascending, emerging contender with real lasting potential. Coming off the win in February against Jessica Andrade, turning in what I thought was a tremendous performance against Tyler Santos in Singapore last month. One of those fights that for me, and I had this conversation with Elliot Marshall as we were talking about Grosso Shevchenko too for the coach conversation. We got talking about Aaron Blanchfield in that fight and he and I were in lockstep in our assessment of it because you saw in those second and third rounds that this was somebody that did not care that she was getting hit, that she was getting beaten in the first round, that the things she wanted to do weren't working as easily and effectively as she normally was getting to them. She just kept pushing, just continued to persevere and work and exhausted Tyler Santos. And the takeaway that both Elliot and I had from that is wait until you see this woman in the third, in the fourth and fifth rounds. You think she's got somebody exhausted after three rounds. And you saw as that fight went on, Tyler Santos wilted and Aaron Blanchfield just kept pushing forward. She's similar to Sean Strickland in the sense of it's never going a hundred. There's never a red line with Aaron Blanchfield, but she runs at about 70 all the time and can do it for as long as you'd like. And that's exhausting and it's suffocating and it's difficult to deal with. And it makes her in my eyes, a very formidable threat at the top of this division. And so I think in the, in the pursuit of something fresh in the pursuit of something new and quite frankly, trying to get aiming to get a young, talented, marketable, telegenic American at the top of a division 
you move forward with a fight like that. And that's not taking anything away from Alexa Grasso, right? That's not taking anything away. We don't want a Mexican champion. Alexa Grasso is an absolute star. And the UFC is in a great, great place with her atop this division. I think that way about all kinds of people. But it's like, this isn't a, oh, we need Americans. No, I'm Canadian first and foremost. So I should be advocating for Canadians to get to the top, but we don't have anybody in that space. But like, just to continue to promote and try to push forward and build young American stars is important for an American-based organization that holds the majority of its events in North America and in the United States itself. Putting those two together is a very marketable fight. It is a very attractive fight for the future of the division as well. Alexa Grasso is 30 years old. She's not going anywhere. I think we are seeing the start of an extended multiple year run for Alexa Grasso at the very top of this division, if not as the champion in that one, two, three space where she's always on the podium and always a, a threat to win or continue to carry that championship belt. For me, when I look at what Blanchfield has done, it becomes really difficult to say, well, we're going to need you to do more. And that applies to Manon Firo as well. And we'll get to her in a second. And look, it sucks for Val, who has a legitimate case here of, I got screwed by the judges. Because in most instances, that's not going to be a 10-8 round. And Luke Thomas made a very good point about this that I saw yesterday on Twitter. Of It's hard to make it a 10-8 round when there are a bunch of people that aren't even sure that Alexa Grasso won that round. And that, to me, is all that needs to be said to eliminate the, like, we can make a case for the 10-8. We can't because there are some people that will advocate for Valentina Shevchenko still winning that round. I'm not one of them. I had the fight 48-47 for Alexa Grasso, but I understand the position, the argument, the frustration, the desire on behalf of the former champion to want to get right back in there and try to get back or be given the opportunity to earn back what right now today on Monday, September 18th, she feels is hers. That all makes sense. I get all of that. Unfortunately, she's 0-1-1 against Alexa Grasso in two fights this year. And for all the legitimate arguments she can make, the result is what it is. And we can only play the results. We can't keep going back and doing the like, yeah, but it should have been. It is what it is. And let's move forward. I'm not saying put her out of the picture entirely. I'm not saying shuffle her to the back of the line. But for me, I would move forward and have Alexa Grasso fight Aaron Blanchfield, who I think out of the two contenders that are sitting at the top of the division right now, ready to go, has done more and been more impressive to me in the last couple of years and merits the championship opportunity ahead of Manon Firo. So that's what I do in the championship picture. With all due respect to Valentina Shevchenko, with all due respect to Manon Firo, I move forward, Alexa Grasso, Aaron Blanchfield, you do it in Q1. If you can do it in New Jersey, if you can do it in Mexico, if you could do it somewhere connected to either of these women, that would be great. And that's what you do to see where the division goes after that. Before I get to Valentina Shevchenko, I want to address Manon Firo, who 
again on Saturday, rightfully and understandably, tweeted out, I'm next. This is my shot now. Val's got to wait. I've done enough. It should be my time. And her case is very similar to Aaron Blanchfield. 6-0 in the UFC, 11-fight winning streak overall. Coming off consecutive victories over Jennifer Maya, Caitlin Chikagian, and Rose Namajunas. That is a three-fight winning streak that is exceptional, right? Jennifer Maya, former title cha- challenger, perennial top 10 fixture in the flyweight division. Caitlin Chukagian, former title challenger, perennial top five fixture in the flyweight division. Rose Namajunas, former two-time strawweight champion, somebody that everybody recognizes as a one of the best female fighters talent-wise on God's green earth right now. And she goes out and beats all three by decision. None of those fights are bouts where you think, ah, well, it could have maybe went the other way. Unanimous decisions across the board. As I said, 6-0 in the UFC, 11-fight winning streak overall. She legitimately has a case, right? After she beat Chukagian last October, she ostensibly was the number one contender. Unfortunately for her, she suffered a knee injury and needed to have surgery and wasn't going to be ready until... She competed a couple of weeks ago in Paris. It was sort of the middle of the summer, I believe, was the target, the trajectory of things. And that gave Aaron Blanchfield the opportunity to cut in line, to to work her way to the front of the line. And she took full advantage, right? Caitlin Chukagian fight happens October 22nd in Abu Dhabi at UFC 281. A month later, not even a full month later, but a couple of weeks later in New York City, Aaron Blanchfield runs through Molly McCann and dusts off the shoulders. And then she turns around in February and submits Jessica Andrade. And that puts her in the pole position. And there was not much that Manon Fioro, in my opinion, was going to be able to do to work her way back ahead of Aaron Blanchfield. So long as Blanchfield kept winning. I, as I said, thought really highly of her performance against Tyler Santos. I understand some people did not. I'm sure that some people put more weight on Firo beating Rose Namajunas than they put on Blanchfield beating someone in Santos that challenged for the title but was never a champion. And that's fine to each their own. Everybody has their own ways of looking at things. But for me, Blanchfield is the number one contender. Firo is the is the 1B. Blanchfield is 1A. Firo is 1B. And as such, I would just have her wait. I would have her be at the ready as the replacement fighter for the championship fight should something happen on either side that we need to do either a replacement for Aaron Blanchfield or we need to do an interim title if something knocking on wood here happens to Alexa Grosso and we have to move in that direction. I don't like the idea of pairing them together, which was the immediate sort of combo piece to people saying, let's just run this back, was... We do Blanchfield and Firo and everything is is resolved. If you know me, if you've listened to me, if you've read me, you know I am not a big fan of taking two contenders that are fresh, that have never fought for the title, that are on great winning streaks and saying, fight each other and let's get it down to one because it feels unnecessary. It eliminates somebody that we're going to need in the future and puts a loss on their record that changes the way we look at them. And the way we think about them, right? Imagine if Jared Cannonier hadn't lost to Robert Whitaker, hadn't gone through that fight where he gets pieced up 
by Bobby Knuckles and can't get past him. It changes the way you look at him going into eventually that fight with Israel Adesanya. And so for me, rather than book the immediate rematch and then the 1A and 1B contenders Blanchfield and Furo against each other, I want to do Grosso and Blanchfield with Manon Furo waiting in the wings as the weighing in backup, as the going through training camp backup. And again, if I'm in charge of this, we're paying full price. We're paying all the costs for her to go through it. It's just like a fight. She's doing a full camp. We're taking care of everything. We're making sure she is paid. She weighs in. She's ready to go. And if we have to move in a pivot direction, she's there at the ready. And that's what we do. Rather than knocking back one of these ascending contenders so that we do a fight that we've now seen twice that yes, again, I understand had a controversial inconclusive in some ways ending on Saturday, but this is my matchmaking. This is my booking and that's the way I'm going, which means we've got to figure out what to do with Valentina Shevchenko. And for me, the answer here is really quite simple. You just have her fight Tyler Santos. I always felt coming out of that fight in Singapore a couple years ago or a year ago now, a little over a year ago now at UFC 275, that you could have made a case for an immediate rematch there. Again, I'm not the guy that wants to see immediate rematches, especially when the champion retains, even though it's a split decision. But like Tyler Santos is real close. She was the first person to show the real holes in the game and I think slightly sliding backwards to the field along with the field catching up to Valentina Shevchenko before Alexa Grasso, before we got to 2023. And so given that Valentina is now without a victory in her last two, Tyler Santos is without a victory in her last two, and they fought for 25 minutes to a split decision in a fight that we all sort of agree twisted and hinged on an accidental clash of heads where Santos got the worst of it. Let's pair them together in a five round main event somewhere and see who emerges. The winner of that one is absolutely right back into the queue, right back into the mix. We see what happens at the top of the division between Grosso and Blanchfield and Fiero and figure it out from there. Like we don't have to book these things all the way down the line, but we need to give ourselves as many avenues as possible. And to me, going in a new direction at the top and not booking the two contenders against one another gives us those directions. There's already a built-in story to Shevchenko versus Santos. We can just replay all the highlights of 275 and make it real dramatic when the clash of heads happens. And it's a split decision. And it's a super close fight that all of us think, man, what did we just see? Was that the start of Valentina sliding? Was Tyler Santos on the verge of winning that belt before the clash of heads? This is an easy sell to me. This is an easy decision. They're actually in the same position right now. Neither has won since that first fight. Since that first meeting. Santos is on a two-fight losing streak. Val is 0-1-1 against Alexa Grasso in 2023. Put them together. And there we've got, to me, the top five names in the flyweight division sorted out. I know it means there's not a fight at the immediacy 
for men on Fear Row, but I think you do the replacement thing so that she's not booked into anything so that you don't have to pull a bunch of stuff apart if, and again, I'm knocking on wood, anything were to happen to the championship fight participants. You get Val and Santos fighting somewhere close as well in a similar trajectory on a similar timeline so that once everybody's through, provided health, provided readiness, we can make those next steps. We can take those next few steps to book out a few more fights going from there. It doesn't feel that complicated to me. And again, I understand all of the cases for immediate rematch. I get the logic when people say, let's do Blanchfield and Firo and keep Tyler Santos out of this. But this for me is the direction I would take. It gives us something fresh at the top of the division. It gives us a easy fight to make for Valentina Shevchenko that has a story that if she wins that, she's right back there, ready to face whoever has the belt, right? Whether that is Grasso for a third time or that is Blanchfield as the new champion, which would be a whole different storyline to explore. It feels like the direction to go. And so now we'll get into sort of that group that is right now outside of the title picture. Absolute contenders, but outside of the title picture. Because I think for me, the title picture is these five women. And I still include Tyler Santos in there because losses to Valentina Shevchenko and Aaron Blanchfield on the scorecards are not things to hang your head about. Those are losses that continue to age well, that don't look bad on a resume. She is very much in the mix. Grasso is the champion. These are the four top contenders behind her. And that's how I would book this through. Okay, so we're going to keep working forward by just looking at the rankings. And I've got them up in front of me. They obviously haven't updated since Noche UFC. They are as follows. Alexa Grasso is the champion. Valentina Shevchenko is number one. Aaron Blanchfield is number two. Menon Furo is number two as well in a tie with Aaron Blanchfield. And Tyler Santos is four. Number five is Caitlin Chukagian, who has not fought since last October in losing to Manon Furo at UFC 280, but remains sort of that top end. I always have likened it to, you've got the bouncer, you've got the, the guy, the person on the door at the front door of the club, right? They've got a list. If you're not on the list, you're not getting in. But then there's somebody at the door to the VIP as well. And Caitlin Chukagian has been that person that's at the door to the VIP. And you got to get through her in order to get into the VIP area. And so far in her career at Flyweight, there haven't been many people that have beaten her to get into that VIP area. You look at the results, you look at the resume, and it's nine wins and four losses. And the four losses are Jessica I by split decision, Shevchenko in a title fight, Jessica Andrade, who then went on to fight for a title, and Menon Fioro last October, after four consecutive victories over Cynthia Calvillo, Viviani Araujo, Jennifer Maya, who we mentioned earlier, and Amanda Hibas. She is very much still that gatekeeper to the upper echelon. As such, when trying to figure out what to do with her next, who to book her against, it came down to one name, and it was really quite easy for me. And that's Macy Barber. Macy Barber has been someone that obviously was projected to be and spoke herself about wanting to be the youngest champion in UFC history. That was the 
target that was the goal when she arrived in the UFC through the contender series on season two and coming in, making her debut November 20, 2018 with a stoppage win over Hannah Cyphers. She had a couple stumbles. She had the knee injury to deal with, but since her loss to the current champion, Alexa Grasso, Macy Barber has rattled off five straight wins. And last time out, she got a second round stoppage win over Amanda Hebas, looking absolutely phenomenal. Dominated that fight. I am so impressed with what Macy Barber has been able to do since touching down and staying put, most importantly, at Team Alpha Male. She has figured out, all right, I'm not the absolute best athlete. I'm not the best striker in space. But where I'm best is being inside, being physical, being mean, being grimy, and just kind of wearing on you and smashing you whenever I get the opportunity. And that's what we saw in the fight with Amanda Hebas. Now, I think there's still obviously room to grow. She's 25. She's only 15 fights into her professional career, but she's at a point with five straight victories and beating increasingly established, increasingly higher ranked opposition in beating Andrea Lee and Amanda Hebas in consecutive fights, Jessica I before that, where she's due a test like this. She's primed for a matchup like this. To me, I would do it as a co-main event on a fight night show. I would love to get Macy Barber a five-round fight before we get her to championship opportunities. I think everyone that is ascending and, and working towards potential championship fights should get in a five-round fight before they get into a title fight. I think they should have a main event opportunity before they get into a title fight. This one doesn't have to be that, but I think we're getting close. Projecting forward, looking at some of the stuff that's going on here. If we were to do Caitlin Chikagian versus Macy Barber and Barber is victorious, I would absolutely have no problem booking her in with the loser of Shevchenko Santos that we've hypothetically, theoretically booked, right? You do that as a main event. That's the main event test. You beat the person that is the gatekeeper to the upper echelon. Then you beat someone in the upper echelon and then you challenge for the title. It feels like a real logical straightforward way to go for Caitlin Chukagian. This is sort of the role she's going to have to accept and continue to accept, right? She's done well in it. As I said, prior to the fight last time out against Manon Firo, she was beating people that were in these positions, right? That were trying to get past her to get to a championship opportunity. Turn back Viviata Ujo, turn back Amanda Hibas. So now she's got to continue in this role and win a couple more fights and continue to beat these people that are trying to get past her if she wants to get back into the mix. It's one of those things that I know everybody wants to say, well, that's not what they want to do. Of course it's not, but we don't all get to do exactly what we want to do. She's coming off a loss to somebody that is yet to fight for the title. And so the next logical step to be is go out there and face the ascending 25-year-old the same way you have faced Cynthia Calvillo and Vivi Araujo and Jennifer Maya and Amanda Hibas and Antonina Shevchenko when she was on the come up. Go out there, face her. If you beat Macy Barber, you're right back in the mix as well. You can fight 
the loser of Santos Shevchenko. You're right back in that position, facing somebody in that upper echelon. Because your resume stands out to that point. So for me, that feels like a pretty easy pairing of two fighters that are at number five and number eight in the division right now to help figure out and help delineate where everybody stands going forward. It's episode 37 of the Keyboard Kimura podcast presented by One Bone. E. Spencer Kite breaking down, booking out the UFC women's flyweight division. We move now to the person at number six. So number six in the rankings is Jessica Andrade, but she has moved back down to strawweight. She has a fight coming up at strawweight. So we're taking her off the table for right now. She's not booked in this division. I believe 115 is where she has gone back to full time. So we can pull Jessica Andrade out of this conversation. Which brings us to Lauren Murphy. And Lauren Murphy, not quite similarly to Caitlin Chukagian, but in a in a slightly reduced position than Caitlin Chukagian is. Lauren Murphy is 40 years old. She turned 40 in July. And as always, it's never calling anybody old. I'm older than quite literally everybody I talk about in the UFC, save for, I believe, Andre Arlovsky. But Lauren Murphy is one and two in her last three fights. That goes back to September 2021, where she lost to Valentina Shevchenko. She then beat Misha Tate in a great performance, looked great against Misha Tate, and then lost in January at UFC 283 in Brazil to Jessica Andrade. She does not have anything booked, and I want to make that clear because there's going to be some fights that we get to where they're already on the books, and that's just the way we're going to go. Like, those are just going to get penciled in because that's what's already on the table. I'm not going to pull apart matchups that have already been made. So she doesn't have anything on the books. She's coming off a loss. And this is where I say, similar to Caitlin Chukagian, she's going to have to sort of be another one of these individuals that is facing young, ascending, up-and-coming talents that are trying to work forward, that need wins over more established names. And as such, I would put her in there with King Casey O'Neill. So O'Neill was scheduled to fight at UFC 293 in Sydney against Viviani Araujo. She was forced to pull out from that. Araujo was subsequently rebooked into another matchup. We'll get to that shortly. O'Neill is coming off a loss to Jen Maya in March at UFC 286. That stopped her undefeated run. That stopped her march up the rankings. She obviously, if you'll recall, beat Roxanne Modafari at UFC 271 and then blew out her knee. Uh, was scheduled for a fight, blew out her knee, was scheduled to fight Jessica, blew out her knee, was on the sidelines for a year, came back, fought Jennifer Maya, lost that fight, and that's how we get to where we are. To me, it's another one of those this-just-makes-sense kind of fights. Both athletes are coming off losses. Both are in the top 10. Both are looking to move forward. Both could use a win like this, right? Lauren Murphy could use a win over a young, promising putting it together, superior athlete, but not as experienced fighter as Casey O'Neill, who is 15 years her junior. It'll be 14 in a couple of weeks when Casey O'Neill turns 26. Flip side, Casey O'Neill needs to beat another of these tenured, in-the-mix fighters that has gone forward to challenge for gold at some point, right? The win over Antonina Shevchenko earlier in her career was good. The win over Roxanne Modafari is a good win, 
but she stumbled last time out against Jennifer Maya. I give her grace for that. It's her first fight back after the knee injury. You're shaking off the rust. You're getting comfortable. All of that stuff is totally understandable to me. So now we reset and now we try to do it again. Essentially, we just re, we almost rebook it, right? You put her in there with someone with a similar profile in Lauren Murphy. They're in the same position in terms of wanting to go forward. They each need to win like this. This feels like another one of those way too easy to make. I don't know why we wouldn't. And so one of the things I'm going to do with this, I've got this all written out. I've got this all laid out in front of me. I'm going to hang on to this and I'm going to see, and I will update along the way, tweet out little things and attach this podcast back to it. If, and when some of these matchups come to pass. Continuing down the rankings. So Lauren Murphy is at number seven. Macy Barber, who we already booked against Caitlin Chukagian is at number eight. Number nine and 10 are Jennifer Maya and Viviani Araujo. They are booked to fight in the not too distant future. They're booked to fight. And I'm going to pull up the date and get the actual date here. They're set to fight on October 14th at UFC fight night 230, which is taking place at the UFC apex headlined by Sadiq Youssef and Edson Barbosa. That's an easy fight. It makes a whole lot of sense. As I said, comes out of the wake of a Casey O'Neill withdrawal for UFC Sydney against Vivi. Maya steps in. That makes a lot of sense. Number 11 in the rankings is Amanda Hibas. She too, similar to Jessica Andrade, is booked back at strawweight and is going back to strawweight. Strawweight, excuse me. She's set to face Luana Pinheiro at a November event in Las Vegas, tentatively set to be headlined, I believe, by Brendan Allen and Paul Craig. So that, she too, is pulled out of the mix. So that's number 11. Number 12 is Casey O'Neill, who we just booked, which brings us to number 13, somebody that I have been high on for a little while, somebody that I think really highly of, excuse me, is Natalia Silva. And I'm sort of stuck with what to do with Natalia Silva. Because on one hand, I want to rush her forward. I think highly of her enough. I think enough of her that I kind of want to push, that I kind of want to just throw her into the mix and see what happens and get her in there with absolute standouts. But I also don't. I also don't want to rush it. And so the name that I came up with and the one that for me, Makes a lot of sense. If she's sticking around the division, if she wants to fight, and I know she's dealing with an injury, but it throws Nama Yunus. Let's just see. I know that it is, in theory, a big step back for Rose Nama Yunus, who just fought Manon Firo in the co main event at USC Paris in September and is a former champion in all of those things. But Rose is now on a two-fight losing streak. And she looked okay, but not great against Manon Furo. And so if you're going to keep competing, if you're still sticking around, if this is what you want to do and this is the, the division you want to be in, let's do a fight with Natalia Silva, who is 26 years old, who is 4-0 in the UFC with wins over Jasmine Jazdavisius, Teresa Bleda, Victoria Leonardo, and Andrea Lee in August at UFC 292 has just looked terrific. 
Hasn't lost a fight since December 2017, which came against Marina Rodriguez. Yes, that Marina Rodriguez. She is ascending. I think she is super talented. I think she can be a future contender. And this feels like the right spot for a fight like this. I talk about these things all the time, right? For me, with ascending talents like Natalia Silva, who hasn't taken that step yet of facing somebody established in the top 15, because Andrea Lee, I believe, was either towards the bottom of it or already out of it and is on a losing streak and, and doesn't necessarily rate as somebody that it's like, oh, she beat her. This is where you, to me, it's safe to do a matchup like this. Because if Natalia Silva were to fight Rose Namajunas and lose, and it's her first loss in the UFC, and it halts a big, lengthy 10-fight winning streak, you can still look at it and go, yeah, all right, she lost to Rose Namajunas. Like, that's not a bad loss. It's okay. She's 26, 27. Lots of time to reset. She'll be 27 in February. Lots of time to reset and get this moving forward again. But if she were to beat Rose Namajunas, then she absolutely catapults forward in the division and we get another fighter that 100% joins that group of Casey O'Neill and Macy Barber and Aaron Blanchfield of ascending young talents that haven't fought for the title, which for me is what I want and what I want to see cultivated in these weight classes all of the time as much as possible. And so if Rose Namajunas is sticking around, if she's hanging out at one 125 for the foreseeable future whenever her finger is good to go and she is ready to go I really like a matchup with Natalia Silva I know it's a big ask I know it's a huge step up for Silva and I'm sure her team will jump at the opportunity I don't know that Rose would but it feels like the kind of thing I would put to her to say look if you're hanging around if you're sticking it if you're sticking around here this is where you want to be this is who we think you need to fight this is who we think you should fight. Show us that you can beat a 26-year-old that's on the come up, that's hungry, that's athletic, that moves well, that does some of the things that you do well, but has won some fights as of late. Yes, no, what do we think? Let me know what you think on that one. That's I know it's an interesting one. I know it's a bit of a curveball. I know it's a bit of a wild card. Let me know what you think. Brings us to Noche UFC's other Flyweight fight, Tracy Cortez currently stationed at number 14 in the rankings. I believe that will change tomorrow as the rankings update as she picked up another victory, defeating Jasmine Jazdavicius to move to 5-0 in the UFC. She's looked really good. She looked great on Saturday. The boxing looked crisp. The boxing looked on point. I actually booked this one several weeks ago, and so I'm sticking to it. For me, I want to see Tracy Cortez versus Karine Silva, who is currently stationed at number 15 in the division, in the rankings, has looked really good so far to start her UFC career, picking up three straight victories, all by all by submission, all in the first round, got that on the buzzer submission of Marina Morose last time out, has looked great, feels like somebody that could make a run here in the division. And so with Cortez coming off a good win and Silva coming off a good win earlier this summer, they feel like an easy matchup. Again, I'm not usually somebody that wants to put unbeaten, ascending, everybody's working in the same direction kind of fighters together. But to do it at this point, where they're both 29, where they're both on 
extended runs, but need to face that sort of, and this isn't, again, this isn't a knock on Marina Morose or Jasmine Jazdavicius. Need to face somebody that also carries a little bit of that, hey, this is a real test. Hey, that person's been doing really well. Okay, this this now gets real tricky. This now gets real interesting. They each need that fight and represent that for one another. And so for me, my thought is why not just book it? Why not just put them together? Why not just pair them off and have that be the fight? And the winner moves forward. The winner gets closer to the top 10, gets closer to facing one of those established veteran names that are ahead of them in the mix right now. Or maybe another young emerging talent that is continuing to push forward. But we sort out which of these two goes forward now and which one just needs to reset for a second. Just needs to hold steady. It's not even a step back. It's just a hold steady. It's just a sit tight. I like that matchup. I liked it when I made it back in August after Karina Silva's win over Marina Morose. I like it even more now after watching Tracy Cortez turn in a very good performance against a very game Jasmine Jazdavicius on Saturday. So that gets us through the top 15, which brings us to the rest of the division. And for this, I've literally just got the Wikipedia listing of UFC fighters, current UFC fighters, and the women's flyweight division brought up, sorted by their overall MMA records. And we're just going to go down the line from there, putting together these fights. So the next person on my list is Marina Morose, who, as I said, is coming off that loss to Karina Silva at UFC 292 in Boston. First round submission loss on the horn at the end of the first round, bringing their personal series to one and one, each of them earning a first round submission win. But for me, Marina Morose is somebody that is in that position where she's a good, tenured, veteran hand, tough out, kind of good everywhere, but not somebody that is necessarily going to push into the top 15, but is absolutely serviceable, absolutely somebody you want to see fight, you want to see continue being in there. I match her up with Courtney Casey, who very recently was announced to be serving a four-month suspension. That comes up. She's eligible to fight again October 1, 2023. Self-reported four-month suspension. Courtney Casey, get her. She's there. It's actually quite surprising to me that these two haven't crossed paths yet. I haven't gone through and done the like, were they ever even scheduled to face each other? But they feel like similar fighters, right? Neither is going to make that run into the upper echelon. Neither is going to make that run even beyond the top 10. Maybe they crack the lower third of the rankings. But they're consistently tough outs. They're consistently game, competitive, make you work for everything you get fighters. And sometimes you just got to pair those two kinds of athletes together. You've just got to pair similar athletes like that together. You stick them in the middle of a main card on a fight night event. You stick them on the televised prelims of a pay-per-view you get a good fight. There's no way you're not getting a good fight from these two, a competitive, scrappy, grimy fight. And then whoever wins goes forward. Whoever doesn't hangs out where they are. Not everything has to be great, big ramifications and great, big moments. It's just a good competitive, fun fight between two tenured fighters in this weight class. 
Next up on the list as I scroll down, as I move down, is Miranda Maverick, 26 years old, coming off a win at UFC 291 over Priscilla Cachuera, somebody I have been high on for a long time, somebody that I believe is part of that group or should be part of that group alongside Blanchfield, Barber, O'Neal. She is part of it. Natalia Silva as well. Karina Silva as well. Tracy Cortez as well. It is a growing group. It is a undefined number of people group that continues to grow. But I actually want to take things a little bit slower with Miranda Maverick. She had a couple stumbles. She had a couple setbacks. And so as much as she got back into the win column in July against Cashuera after the loss to Jasmine Jasnavicius, she's got the losses to Macy Barber and Aaron Blanchfield in the UFC, regardless of how you feel of the scoring of the Macy Barber fight. That is on her record, right? She is five and three in the UFC. She is 12 and five overall. I don't feel there's any need to rush her. I don't feel there's any need to run her deep into things. And so for me, the matchup I like, and this one's tough. And, and now that I look at it, now that I think about it, I think I said it at the time. I have it booked against JJ Aldrich and it just won't work because they train together in Denver, Colorado. So we're going to do a quick pivot here on the fly. This is how we do things as we sit here and, and book these out. I should have looked this through. I should have thought this through a little more. So what we're going to do is we're going to pivot to a fight that I know she's wanted for a long time. And I don't think it'll happen because the timing of it and the, the alignment of it doesn't make sense. But it's the one I, again, this is me booking the fights and it's the one I would do. I'd book her against Molly McCann. I'd book her in March back in London against Molly McCann, who's coming off two losses, but is a bigger star, is a bigger name, is somebody that's going to continue to command attention. It gives you the opportunity to make that a main card fight in London because Miranda Maverick is an ascending name. It's a fight she has wanted for some time. I remember talking to her going into her fight against Shayna Young in November of 2022. So just quite not quite a year ago. That was a fight she wanted. That was something she was targeting. And so let's do that to pivot out of my mistake and my forgetting that she and JJ Aldrich trained together. Let's do Miranda Maverick and Molly McCann. Do it in London in March. Get her the fight that she wants. She's in the position right now to be able to make that ask. And Molly McCann on two straight losses isn't necessarily in a position to be able to balk at too many things. That feels like a reasonable fight to me. Proud of myself for pivoting on the fly, recognizing the error of my ways and not booking training partners together. I'm going to go back up my list because as I have it sorted here by MMA record, I, I look and I recognize that I've skipped a couple people, that I've missed a couple people, that I want to just mention one for the sake of mentioning because I don't know what their situation is. And then there are a couple people that we need to book. So Misha Tate, I don't know what her current situation is. She, of course, former bantamweight champion, was kind of trying to decide between whether she wanted to fight at flyweight or bantamweight. She came back to the UFC. She then went up and was supposed to face Myra Bueno Silva at bantamweight last time out in May, but she suffered an injury. She was replaced by Holly Holm. That went the way it went. So I believe if she is going to return, it will be at bantamweight. Andrea Lee is also somebody that is on this list here. Obviously, I mentioned her briefly, having lost to Natalia Silva at UFC 292. She is currently on a three-fight losing streak. I believe that fight against Natalia Silva was the last of her current UFC contract. So she is currently a free agent sort of in that, 
unsure where she's going to land space. I haven't booked her simply for that reason because I don't know whether she is going to resign or whether the UFC is going to look to continue booking her after three consecutive losses and being in a position right now where she's two and six over her last eight fights. So she's part of that group. And then Joanne Wood as well. I've got her booked. I've got a fight here and it actually works because we'll talk about both of them at the same time right now. My theoretical booking, my booking, and I know Jojo posted the other day that she's got her visa situation or green card situation figured out so she can get back to fighting. If that is the case, if she is continuing to fight, because I know she talked about being close to wanting to hang it up. I don't know whether Antonina Shevchenko is continuing to fight as well. Obviously, we saw her in her sister's corner on Saturday. She hasn't fought since last summer when she beat Courtney Casey by split decision. But if she is and JoJo is, let's just book them together. Let's just put them in there against one another and figure that bit out. Two veterans of the division, two veterans of combat sports. Feels like an easy pairing, feels like an easy matchup. And that gets us caught up in terms of going through everything sorted by MMA record using this Wikipedia page. One other fighter to mention in there in terms of the sorted by MMA record, 13-4, and Ketlin Souza lost her debut against Karine Silva, who I've talked about earlier. She is currently injured, so I haven't booked anything for her. It looked like she blew out one of, if not several, knee ligaments in that fight where she was knee barred. I haven't booked her just because the timeline is unknown to me right now. She may not be back until late next year. And so just not going to book her at this point. Not going to try to sort anything out for her. All I want to do is wish her a speedy recovery because she's somebody I I truly want to see continue competing at this level. I think the matchup against Karine Silva, as we are coming to learn, was a difficult matchup, especially for her debut. I hope she gets well soon. I hope the knee recovery goes swimmingly and we can see her in the back half of 2024. All right, getting back to it. It brings us to Priscilla Cashwera, the zombie girl. As I said, coming off a loss to Miranda Maverick at UFC 291 in Salt Lake City, Utah. Somebody that I think has actually done well to give herself continued opportunities in the UFC, given where it started, given some of the you know, weight misses and issues in that regard. She's sorted most things out. She's still a bit of a like, ah, that's a little sketchy. The, the poke in the eye of, of Jillian Robertson and things like that. But she's done in terms of results. She's done okay for herself in the UFC. I think she continues to garner opportunities. Again, as always, I don't know what people's contract status is. I don't know where they're at in terms of number of fights remaining. So I'm booking this based on them being on this list of current UFC fighters for the people that I know what their situation is. Like Andrea Lee, as I said, I'll stick away from it. But for Cashwera, I think there's still more for her. I think she continues to get booked. And for me, the decision here is an easy one. It's Maria Agapova, who is somebody I, she is very much fits in the fighters I can't quit designation on 10 things I like. She's somebody that I've always been high on and it just hasn't worked out. She's on a two fight slide. Cashwera is coming off a loss. You put two wild people together, two people that just want to go a hundred miles an hour at all times 
it's an easy fight to stick on the main card of a fight night event or the televised prelims or even early prelims of a pay-per-view show. And you just see what happens. There's nine years difference in age between the two of them. I still think if Agapova can dial some stuff in that there's room to grow and, and some potential upside, that might just me being wishful thinking. But I feel like that's a reasonable matchup for two fighters that have struggled overall in the UFC, right? Kashwara four and five, Agapova two and three, but have had some success, have had some good moments. Make a fight like that. See which one can go forward. Feels like a pretty easy, straightforward matchup to me. For JJ Aldrich, who I originally had paired off with her teammate, Miranda Maverick, the pivot for me is to book her against Jasmine Jazdavicius. So Maverick is coming off a good win, a stoppage win over Na Liang in Singapore. Jazz obviously coming off a loss, but a good loss. A loss where I don't think she loses any ground to Tracy Cortez last time out. And could use a fight with a good steady hand, a good steady veteran like J.J. Aldrich that can do a lot of good things, right? Jazz Davisius should have a grappling advantage. So you give her a room where she can potentially succeed. But she's going to have to deal with clean, set fundamentals from J.J. Aldrich, who throws a great jab and knows who she is as an athlete, knows who she is as a competitor, will work behind that one-two. Feels like a real, real easy kind of fight to make. Similar timelines, right? J.J. Aldrich having fought in Singapore, Jazz having fought last week, not a lot of time between those two matchups. I believe everybody came out of it healthy, provided everybody is ready to go in a similar time frame. This feels like the right kind of matchup. J.J. Aldrich is that outside of the top 15 sort of veteran test that hopefuls need to pass. And so while Jazz got the opportunity to face a ranked opponent in Tracy Cortez after beating Miranda Maverick, she's now lost, needs another reset, needs another steadying. So let's see what she does against a veteran opponent. Let's get her in there with J.J. Aldrich. And for J.J. Aldrich, again, if you go out and beat a, and it's weird because J.J. Aldrich is four years younger than Jasmine Jazdavicius, but has been around and been a fighter for longer than Jasmine Jazdavicius has. You go out and beat somebody that has a little bit of buzz still, that has some good results as of late. That carries you forward. That further cements and entrenches you in your role as that second 15 veteran standout, veteran test that all of these ascending fighters need to deal with somewhere along the line. And if you win enough of those fights, you put yourself in a position to challenge for a spot in the top 15. Feels like a good matchup, an easy matchup. So we'll go Aldrich versus Jazz Davisius. That books those two together, gets them off the list of fighters we need to pair off. Montana De La Rosa is next on the list. She is 12, 8, and 1 overall, 5, 4, and 1 in the UFC. Former Ultimate Fighter contestant. She is booked to face Stephanie Egger here in a couple of weeks at UFC Vegas 80 at the Apex, a fight card headlined by Grant Dawson and Bobby Green. So we're just leaving that pairing together. Don't have to do any work here. My, my work for this show is done already for me. The former Montana Stewart is booked in against Stephanie Egger. She comes in on a two-fight slide. Those are Macy Barber and Tatiana Suarez. We're not holding anything, any of those against her. She's somebody as well that I've always been 
kind of interested in, kind of keeping an eye on because there have been positive moments. She hasn't been able to turn that into, translate that into consistent success in the octagon. Stephanie Edgar, Edgar, sorry, not Stephanie Edgar, not my name, is someone as well that has struggled to find consistently. She's consistency. She's had good moments. TKO finish of Shayna Young, armbar of Jessica Rose Clark, rear naked choke of Eileen Perez. But on either side of those wins against Perez are losses to Myra Bueno Silva. And then last time out, a knee bar loss to Arena Alexieva. She's now moving down from a catchweight fight at 140 to a flyweight fight. So we'll see what that's all about. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be the third weight class she's competed in in the UFC. So we'll keep an eye on that one. But that one's already made. So we're going to leave it together. Montana De La Rosa, Stephanie Egger, easy booking. Let's go forward. Next up as we scroll through, and I realize that if you're trying to scroll along with me, we're now finally at a point where we haven't touched on people or we have because they've been booked, but we're just going through. It's been a bit of a been a bit of a chaos show with it, but we've we've got it on. We've got it going in the right direction here. Brings us to Yulia Stolyarenko, who is coming off a victory over Molly McCann at the last event, excuse me, in in London, July 22nd at the O2 in the co-main event, her debut at flyweight, a first round submission win, a minute, tw- minute 55 in defeating Molly McCann. I talked to her before that fight. And as much as she is two and five in the UFC and just 11, seven and two overall, she was really confident about this move to flyweight, obviously went out and had a terrific performance against malls. That's really interesting to me. And so for me, the matchup that I like, the idea that I like is a fight with Ariane Lipsky, who has slowly and kind of quietly started to find her footing in the UFC. It's weird that there's a loss to Priscilla Cashwera in there. I will be the first to admit it. But she's 3-1 and one in her last four fights at flyweight. I think she's realized this is the right division for her. And while beating Mandy Bohm isn't a huge feather in the cap. She did beat JJ Aldrich. She looked really good in that fight against JJ Aldrich. And she fought Melissa Gatto hard split decision, good win. And so it's back-to-back victories where we're seeing a little bit of promise. We're seeing a little bit of progress from somebody that came into the UFC with a bunch of fanfare, with a bunch of hype as the former KSW champion and the queen of violence. That feels like a good matchup to me to just see where each of them really truly are at. Can Stoliarenko continue a run? Can she build a run? Is flyweight the right division for her? Is it where she needed to be all along and go out and beat somebody in Ariane Lipsky that has a bunch of UFC experience? Can Lipsky beat somebody that looked really great last time out and beat somebody that beat her in the past? That feels like an easy matchup, a good matchup, a marketable matchup. Let's make that fight. Which brings me to Luana Carolina, who is somebody that is, again, sort of found her footing and really solidified her position on the roster. Coming off a win over Ivana Petrovic on July 1st in Las Vegas to stem a two-fight slide, which were the loss to Molly McCann and then the split decision against Joanne Wood, which was a close competitive fight at UFC 286. A couple of wins before that, Lupe Godinez, that win continues to age well and look nicely. And Pollyanna Battaglio. 
she's somebody that to me has become a sort of good veteran test, a notch behind, a spot behind, a couple steps behind JJ Aldrich, right? In that second 15, maybe even outside of it, but just another one of those good veteran tests that if you're somebody that is looking to ascend the rankings, if you're somebody that is looking to move forward, she's the kind of person you got to beat. And so for me, in booking this, I want to do an all Luana fight. I want to do an all Luana, an all Luana matchup here in the UFC. I want to go Luana Santos against Luana Carolina. Luana Santos is coming off a victory in her debut. She looked very good, in my opinion, in her in her debut performance, beating Juliana Miller, right? Pounding out the ultimate fighter winner along the fence. It's a good win. Let's give her that step up. Let's give her that test against somebody that's seasoned, experienced, has been in there. And if she wins that one, then we've got a 23-year-old on a two-fight winning streak that's moving forward and, and potentially somebody that we need to start watching to maybe join that pack of young ascending talents in the flyweight division. Next up, Melissa Gatto, still just 27 years old, coming off consecutive losses, though, to Tracy Cortez and Arian Lipsky, as I mentioned just a moment ago. First two profession, first two losses of her professional career. For me, I book her in with Teresa Bleda, who is coming off a victory in her last appearance. She is one and one in the UFC. She's 21 years old. She's young, relatively inexperienced. It feels like a sort of, let's just see through each of you Who's ready to really be here? Who's meant to be at this point? And I know that that's asking sort of a tough question of Melissa Gatto, who has a couple UFC victories already. Stoppage wins over Victoria Leonardo and Sajera Eubanks. But the last two have been competitive. They're both losses. Tracy Cortez, obviously, as I said, ranked fighter, Arian Lipsky, done well in her last couple of fights. But let's just see, right? Come out. And show me where you are at right now. If if Melissa Gatto gets a win, she continues moving forward. If it ends up being three straight losses, it sort of shows you where she's at. And you decide from there what to do. And for Teresa Bleda at 21 years old, if she goes out and has addressed some of the conditioning issues, some of the grappling issues, where in terms of the energy expenditure, and she gets another win, great. You've got a 21-year-old on a two-fight winning streak that beat a former prospect that people were intrigued by and excited about. And if she doesn't, you reset from there. Feels like one of those fights that it's probably a step too far back for Melissa Gatto and maybe a step too far forward for Teresa Bleda. But at some point, you kind of just got to do these things. And this feels like one of those points where you just make a fight like this and see what happens. Just a couple more matchups here before we wrap things up. I am skipping over Gabriela Fernandez, who went 0-2 so far this year. I don't believe we will see a third fight. If we do, it will be against a newcomer. It will be against a debuting fighter as she tries to get her first victory and stick around. Brogan Walker, 0-2 in the UFC, 34 years old. I don't believe we will see her compete again. She, too, coming off a defeat very recently. All love for Brogy. Great, great person. Really enjoyed talking to her before her last fight against Yasmin Lucindo, but it hasn't worked out. And I don't think we'll see her again. 
as I said, seven and four overall, oh and two in the UFC, lost to Juju in the tough finale last year, lost to Yasmin Lucindo pretty handily last time out. So unfortunately, I don't see her getting another opportunity. Veronica Hardy made her return earlier this year as well, defeating Juliana Miller. She is booked against Jamie Lynn Horth for an event coming up here in December in Las Vegas, or currently a to-be-announced venue. It's the December 2nd show, which for a period of time was rumored to be Minneapolis. Then Dana shot that down, so who knows? But she looked good in her return. Fight with Jamie Lynn Horth will be a competitive fight. She, of course, the former Battlefield champ, the former LFA champ, coming off a win over Haley Cowan in her debut. Ivana Petrovich debuted, as I mentioned a little earlier, against Luana Carolina, landing on the wrong side of the results. I think you book her with Juliana Miller. I think the UFC is going to be a little bit more lenient, a little bit more slower with Juliana Miller rather than just letting her go after two losses. She won the ultimate fighter. That's going to give her a little bit of grace, but I think you put her in against a similarly inexperienced, similarly didn't do well in her debut fighter like Petrovich and figure that out from there. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how I would book the UFC women's flyweight division after Noche UFC. I thank you for sitting down and going through it with me. As always, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your opinions. Like I said, I'm going to keep track of these. I'm going to have these here. And if we get some of these matchups, I will send out little tweets tagging this podcast and saying, hey, we called that one. We had that one right. We had that one mapped out. If Sean Shelby and McMaynard are listening to this or anyone gets this to them, please guys feel free to use any and all of these matchups. You don't have to give me credit. I will just ear I will just bookmark it. I will just tweet it out there and saying, Hey, we called that one. As I said, thank you for tuning in. I hope this was a fun exercise. I hope there were some fights that you like. If there are some ones that you disagree with or that you do really like, let me know in the comment section, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram. Let's talk about it. I'm going to do this again in November for the heavyweight division. Once we figure out what happens between John Jones and Stipe Miacic, as I said, coming out of Paris and coming out of some recent events in, in Sydney as well with Cyril Ghosn and Alexander Volkov. I wanted to wait to book them to see what happens in November. So we will do that exercise here in a few weeks time for this week. I will be back on Wednesday with one question for every fight leading into UFC Vegas. Gamrot versus Fazeev. Fazeev versus Gamrot. A nice little fight card. A card that I enjoy that I'm looking forward to on Saturday. Until then, thank you for tuning in. Be good to yourselves. Be good to one another. Have a wonderful week. Know that you're loved. Know that you're appreciated. And we'll talk to you on Wednesday.